Well, if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 8, verses 1 through 17 this morning. And the text is also there in the next, uh, on the next page of your bulletin. Uh, Matthew, we've been going through his gospel for several months now. Uh, he, he wrote his gospel in particular. You know, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They've all kind of got different purposes and different styles and different reasons for writing. Uh, and, and Matthew wrote his gospel because the people of Israel didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah that they were expecting. <clears throat> and that's uh, partly because Jesus kept doing crazy stuff like these healings that we're about to read about here. <laughs> It's actually, we think that these healings uh, demonstrate his power and his goodness in clear and obvious and straightforward ways that everybody should be excited about, everybody should embrace and celebrate. But in fact, uh, each of these healings is just as strange and offensive as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was that we just got finished uh, looking at. Uh, his teaching about his kingdom is scandalous. And his kingly exercise of power is just as scandalous. We'll see that in these uh, healings that we're about to read. In a sense, he's, he's throwing his power right in the face of the expectations that people had of him. Everything about this Messiah is so surprising as to be unrecognizable or even infuriating to, to sinners. Uh, but everything that he does reveals that he is from God. And he might not be the healer that uh, we expected or that we wanted, but he's the healer that we need. So uh, let's uh, consider the good news about him. <clears throat> Let me pray first, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, open our ears to hear your word. Open our hearts to yourself. Open our eyes and show us Jesus in his glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> when Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. <clears throat> when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to meet him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, shall I come and heal him? But the centurion replied, Lord, <clears throat> I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word 
and healed all who were sick? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, um, you know, we talk about this pretty frequently around here. We are so far removed from the culture of Jesus' day, and the world has uh, changed so much since then, really due to the influence of Christianity in the world. The world's changed so much that we hardly even recognize how what we just read is so outrageous. (laughs) It really is outrageous. We need to recover the scandal of the gospel, uh, the scandal of a passage like this and healings like this, uh, in order to, to appreciate what's really happening here. Really, even to understand the point that Matthew is trying to make, we need to understand how this message about Jesus is offensive. So let's walk through these healing accounts and see why Jesus actually was rejected for doing stuff like this. Uh, so first, the leper. You know, it was bad to be a leper. <laughs> that maybe seems obvious to everybody, but it was bad to be a leper. That word describes someone who has, uh, <clears throat> you know, he has some kind of skin disease, Maybe it's contagious. Maybe it's not. Uh, but people really thought everything like that was contagious. Maybe it is something like leprosy, what, what we technically call uh, Hansen's disease. Uh, so this guy would have been, you know, he would have had some noticeable disfigurement, something very visible. It would be repulsive to people. It would, it would make <clears throat> people actually shiver with disgust. Uh, there's something gross about the leper. Right? There's something wrong with the leper. There's something unclean about the leper. In fact, according to the Old Testament scriptures, a person with such a skin disease had to dwell apart from society. Couldn't be around other people until his disease, you know, if it maybe went away, possibly. Uh, it might go away, and then he could show himself to the priest in the temple and go through this ritual cleansing and offer the appropriate sacrifices. Uh, but being healed... And being cleansed, actually, from leprosy was probably rare, uh, and most people just avoided lepers literally like the plague. And that's, they avoided lepers. So <clears throat> there was a huge stigma associated with being a leper. It couldn't just be an illness that just kind of happened to someone. It had to say something about the person. So we've seen something like that, I think, these days with COVID. If somebody has COVID, uh, it's probably their fault somehow. They probably did something wrong. Uh, we should be suspicious of them. They weren't trying hard enough to do the good thing, the right thing. You're, you're a bad person, and you're made to feel guilty, actually, or ashamed if you got COVID. It's something that you've got to explain away, or else people will look at you sideways, right? But with leprosy, it's way worse. That, that word, uh, leper, doesn't just describe someone with that illness. That word says that that person's illness defines who he is. The, whole, the, the, the guy's whole life is defined by his leprosy. He doesn't just have leprosy. He is a leper. Being a leper is fundamental to his uh, identity. His life is ruined because he's the leper. We don't really use words that way, uh, not much. <clears throat> uh, you know, someone has cancer. Someone has something visible like eczema on their skin. Somebody has this or that disease. We don't usually have names for people with those diseases. Uh, that... That guy wasn't just a guy with leprosy. He, he was a leper. He was a leper, unwelcome among uh, polite company, the kind of guy you run away from or chase off if he comes around. It wasn't just his skin that made you shiver with disgust. It was him. You don't even engage with a person like that, let alone touch him. But Jesus' compassion overrides all the cultural taboos. It condemns the taboos. 
It is a surprise that Jesus is willing to help him. And Matthew calls emphatic attention to his scandalous action. He doesn't just touch him. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. So that, <clears throat> that would have set so many people off, especially the very religious people who knew that the uncleanness that comes with something like leprosy, that's contagious. Whether the leprosy is or not, the uncleanness actually is. If you touch something unclean, then you also become unclean through the contact. Right? That means you're, you're cut off from sort of the re- religious life of God's people if you're unclean. But with Jesus, <clears throat> he was not afraid of becoming unclean. In fact, uh, however contagious the leper's uncleanness was, Jesus' cleanness was more contagious. It was more transmissible. Everything that's right with Jesus overrode everything that's wrong with this leper. Everything right with Jesus passed through his touch and healed the leper. And the language here is important because it doesn't actually say he healed the leper. It says that the leper asked to be clean. Jesus says, be clean, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. It's all in terms of this cleanness and cleansing, right? The, the leper's illness <clears throat> had a spiritual component, a religious aspect. God is the one who said that those with leprosy are unclean, which is something that indicates this relational status with regard to God. If you're unclean, you can't come into God's presence with his people. <clears throat> so we might think that that's unfair of God to exclude people who are unclean, but He's teaching something through this. He was teaching something with laws like that. There's only such a thing as illness. There's only such a thing as disease and something wrong with our bodies that makes us unclean because of our sin and our rebellion against God. Sin and rebellion is the root of things like that, even of skin disease like this. The sin of humanity has real consequences in our relationship with God, and the illnesses of the body are indicators of that and signs of what's wrong with us in our relationship with God. Apart from Jesus, our sin is fundamental to our identity, just like this leper's leprosy was fundamental to his identity. Right? Apart from Jesus, we don't just have sin. We are sinners. That's our identity. Our sin defines who we are. Our life with God is ruined because of our sin. We are rotting and falling apart, not just on the outside, but in every way because of our sin. But Jesus came... Not just to heal our bodies, but to heal everything about us. Everything wrong with us. Most importantly, most essentially, to heal our relationship with God. He came to make us clean in God's sight. And the healing of this leper is an object lesson that shows this. He, he took our uncleanness. He took our impurity. He took our sin upon himself. And he granted us to have his own cleanness, his own purity, his own righteousness. He came from God. He came from the Lord himself, from the Father, to make us clean and restore our relationship with God. This healing is an occasion uh, actually for the law of Moses, the word of God, to testify to Jesus because Jesus is faithful to the law. He teaches faithfulness to it. He says, look, the law is going to testify that what I did is, is right and it comes from God. Go show yourself to the priests so that they can see it. And the world in his day... Uh, would have seen this as a complete waste of his power. And really, the world in our day still would see this as a complete waste of his power. We know how we would use 
miraculous healing powers if we had that. If you had that power as a superhero, we know how we'd use it. If Jesus was smart about using his power, he, he would have used it to keep kings alive, to keep great people alive. He would have used it to keep himself alive indefinitely. <laughs> he, he would have used it to make himself great, to make himself rich and famous if he was smart about the use of such power. But he wasted his time on some freak whose skin was falling off. And then told him, don't even tell anybody about it. Jesus wasn't interested in fame. He wasn't showing off. He didn't want crowds attracted to him for his sensational wonder-working powers. That's what this is showing. He didn't want those things. Jesus loves. Jesus has compassion. And he has the power to do good for others, even the lowly and despised freaks and sinners, which is despicable to the high and mighty in this world. But how good is it for the freaks and sinners to be loved and cleansed by the Son of God? Can you imagine the relief and the renewal and the freedom and the joy of this man who was just cleansed from his leprosy? Have you experienced experienced the same relief and renewal and freedom and joy knowing the cleansing of your sins? Secondly, the centurion. Centurions were the worst. They were the worst. They were Gentiles. You know, spit. Don't even say that word. They're non-Jews. They're the military face of Roman oppression. They're hardened men of violence. They're commanders who gave brutal orders for their soldiers to, to carry out. They're officers who bore responsibility for the suffering of occupied Israel. If you were a Jew, you hated centurions. In a social order that's established by Rome as the dominant power, uh, centurions are more important than almost any Jew. <clears throat> and the Jews would have despised them, despised them for their actions and for everything they represented as the face of Roman oppression. The people of Israel were longing for a Messiah to come deliver them from people like this, from powerful villains like centurions. And here comes this centurion asking Jesus to heal his servant. And this guy is so astounding that even Jesus marvels at him and praises his faith. You know what's crazy about this centurion? I mean, aside from the fact that just the fundamental scandal of this being a Gentile, you know, oppressor, right? He cares about his servant. In that world, servants were property. A master, uh, especially one as important as this centurion, just wouldn't care if his servant was paralyzed and suffering terribly. He wouldn't care. Centurions were not the kind of people who had compassion toward their servants who were suffering. This guy certainly shouldn't care enough about his servant to humble himself before a Jew, someone who is beneath him, someone who's part of a conquered people. Jesus highlights uh, the political incorrectness of the situation with this question. You know, the ESV doesn't translate it this way, but this is, I think, the way most commentators say it should be uh, translated. Legitimate, perfectly good translation in verse 7. He asks the question, shall I come and heal him? You want me to come to your house and heal your servant? Jesus isn't demonstrating uh, reluctance here, right? He's calling out the elephant in the room. Jews don't go into the homes of unclean Gentiles. The oppressed don't 
want their helpers, uh, uh, their, they don't want to help their oppressors. Great people don't care for servants. There are all kinds of cultural taboos surrounding this request, but this centurion calls Jesus Lord twice. He humbles himself before this Jew. He places himself in the humble position of petitioning Jesus for help. He acknowledges that he isn't even worthy for Jesus to come into his house. And he considers his slave to be an actual person worth helping. He doesn't want to see him suffering terribly. This guy breaks all the conventions. He does it all wrong, and he imposes on Jesus and thinks there's a chance that Jesus would be good with all of this. And Jesus loves it. Jesus loves this guy. Not only is the centurion a better man than basically anyone else you see in the Gospels, uh, he trusts the goodwill and authority of Jesus to heal his servant with merely a word. So Jesus says the most offensive thing that the people around him could hear, the Jewish listeners could hear, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west. These are Gentiles. (laughs) Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you've believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus is supposed to be pro-Israel, right? Jesus, that means anti-Roman. But what he just said puts this Roman and many other Gentiles on equal footing with the very fathers of the people of Israel. And it excludes many of the sons of Israel who presumed on their favored lineage. When you talk about outrageous, this will bring out your rage. This will bring out your rage. Jesus came to turn up uh, things upside down. In fact, he came to make a new creation. <clears throat> he doesn't heal like doctors heal. That's not what kind of healer he is. He has no medical training. He doesn't use any conventional uh, therapeutic methods. He heals with divine authority, with the power of a mere word. Jesus doesn't just mend what's broken or stitch us up like a doctor does. <clears throat> Jesus makes us new instantly, like a creator does. He came to make an utterly new creation through his healing love. And that means healing the nations. That's what you see in the scriptures. It means healing the nations in a new heavens and a new earth. He came to invite all the wrong people to the feast in his kingdom, to include the foreigners in the new world that he's making, which is infuriating to those who are exclusive. He came to bless the lowly, even the slaves, which is aggravating to the masters who love this world's social order. But how good is it for the wrong people and the lowly to be loved by the Son of God and invited to feast at his table? Third, the mother-in-law. Mother-in-laws are the worst. Just kidding. (laughs) But you know what? Uh, Peter's mother-in-law was nobody. She was a nobody. Peter himself was a nobody. He's a fisherman from an obscure, even kind of detestable part of the world. And Peter's mother-in-law, I mean, she's such a nobody, she, she isn't even named. None of these people are named. 
She might be considered a burden on her family, you know, um, somebody who is a dependent and relies on her kids to stay alive, right? Uh, Important people who are used to contributing something uh, useful to society, to be thankful they weren't someone like her, someone who's faded from usefulness into obscurity and dependence. She doesn't even necessarily have some big, scary, life-threatening problem. She says she's sick with a fever. I mean, maybe it was serious because she's older and they didn't have good health care, but it doesn't say that. Maybe not. Maybe, you know, fever is a pretty generic term. It's not very specific. Whatever the case, <clears throat> I mean, her story, it just isn't that important. And it's not that sensational. She's just so insignificant. So unworthy of the attention of the king. But you can see the care in his act. He touched her hand. And the fever left her. And here's a man. Jesus is a man. He's the high king of the kingdom of heaven, exercising the very power of the almighty creator God. Simply touching this old sick woman's hand. Why even bother? And of course, uh, there's no recovery time needed. Again, she just goes instantly from bedridden to energetically serving. Jesus' authority to heal is divine. It's real. It's perfect. I mean, aside from wasting it on people who have nothing to offer, you know? It's perfect. But that's what Peter's mother-in-law represents. She's nobody with nothing to offer. She's nobody with nothing to offer. Jesus doesn't need anything from her. She rises to serve him, yes, but he doesn't need that. Jesus served her in great power first. He loved her. No matter her importance, uh, no matter her insignificance, no matter her utility. Sinners are nobody important with nothing to offer to God. Yet God sent his son into the world to serve us and to love us, to heal the damage that our sin has done to our relationship with him so that we may rise and serve him. He doesn't need our servants, service. He doesn't need us. But he loved us. He served us first when he didn't have to. And this is the kind of crazy stuff that doesn't make sense to sinners in this world who embrace the ideas of importance and power, right? Important people get power and use power to stay important. And they don't treat nobodies like somebodies. And they don't use power to help those who have nothing to offer. <clears throat> and that's the sickness Jesus came to heal. The sickness of our self-importance. It's, uh, it's the sickness and the rot of our sin. So Matthew quotes from Isaiah 53, uh, which Cheryl read in our Old Testament reading. Right? He quotes this at the end of this passage, sort of as a summary statement, uh, really about all these healings that Jesus was doing. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So it comes from uh, that section in Isaiah 52 and 53 that's known as the Song of the Suffering Servant. Uh, we read that section, the Song of the Suffering Servant, Isaiah 53. We recognize this is one of the most powerful prophecies about Jesus one of the most clear prophecies about Jesus in the whole Old Testament, we recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the, the suffering servant that this song is proclaiming. Uh, 
We think it's one of the most obvious prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. It describes him to a T. He clearly fulfills it. But the Jews didn't really think of it as a messianic prophecy because it's so upside down. You just, I mean, read the commentaries. They ask the question, did the Jews think of Isaiah 53 as a messianic prophecy? Not really. Because how could the Messiah suffer? How could he be a servant? Why would he take the sins and illnesses of others on himself? How could it be that he would go unrecognized by us, as Isaiah says, right? That's a huge theme in that whole section of Isaiah, that he was unrecognizable, that he's despised and rejected, and we esteemed him not. Not they esteemed him not. We esteemed him not. The Jews couldn't conceive how they would be the we who didn't esteem the Messiah and recognize him. We're the ones who've been waiting for him. Of course we'll recognize him. Very religious people don't recognize Jesus as their Messiah because they don't want him to be their Messiah. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. He keeps wasting time with the wrong people. He keeps using his power to heal the lowly. He keeps violating the social order. He keeps condemning all our cultural taboos. He keeps giving and loving and doing all this stuff that we hate and we refuse to understand. We don't recognize him. And let's kill him so we get back to business as usual. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. We who are unclean, suffering terribly, dying apart from God. We who have made ourselves freaks and foreigners and nobodies who are rotting and falling apart because of our own sin against God. Jesus broke all conventions. He did it all wrong. He could have used his great power to exclude us and to save himself and exalt himself. But instead, he took our gross evil upon himself. The clean became unclean. The beloved became rejected, and he went into the outer darkness of God's righteous wrath. To heal us. And make us new and clean and alive to God. And to embrace us and seat us in his kingdom at his banqueting table with all the people that he has freely loved. He's the risen king with healing in his hands that are in the nail marks in his hands. That's not the way it should be. That, that's the wrong kind of healing for the wrong kind of people, isn't it? We don't expect that he'll heal every disease every time we ask. That's not the point of a passage like this. Uh, But he's already done the great healing of our relationship with God through his sacrifice on the cross. And he's already guaranteed in his own resurrection that we're going to be fully healed someday, body and soul, in our resurrection on the last day. Our sin uh, no longer defines our reality no longer defines our identity. It doesn't define our eternity. No longer ruins our lives because the healer lives and so shall we. He has unruined us by his gracious love. He's made us a new creation. The fact that people like us, <clears throat> the wrong kind of people, are healed by someone like him says something wonderful about him, doesn't it? 
Let's pray. Jesus, you came to you came to the point of ruin in order to restore us. You took our true illness, our true disease, our sin, and our condemnation upon yourself to bring us peace with God. By your wounds, we're healed. We thank you for breaking all the conventions. In order to love us, we're, we're the wrong kind of people, and uh, we will dance at your feast because of your magnificent love. We come to you for true healing, for the perfect healing of everything that's wrong with the world, everything wrong with our lives because of our sin. And we pray that you would keep your healing love before us for our great joy. And uh, help us to love other lowly, despised nobodies with nothing to offer just as you've loved us. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.